Mark chapter 9, or reading verses 14 to 29. Listen, this is God's word. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them, and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed, and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And then they brought him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, How long, he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire, into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And so he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Amen. May God bless us the reading of his word. Well, how good are you at asking for help? Most of us, we pride ourselves in being self-sufficient. I can do this all by myself. I don't need anyone's help. And many times, that can be a useful trait. We bring up our children to become independent. We look to ourselves rather than the government for financial stability. But there are times when our self-sufficiency is problematic, when you're completely lost and you don't know where to go, but you will not ask for directions. You are determined that you will get there without anybody's help. Or maybe at work, you are overstretched. You need help, but you keep thinking, if you want a job done well, you have to do it yourself, despite it coming at great personal cost. Well, this attitude is also problematic when it comes to our standing with God. Before you became a Christian, you believed you can live life without reference to God. Or if there is a God, that you don't need him to save you that you can do it yourself. You can make your own way to heaven through your can-do attitude. And so you place your trust in yourself. However, when you became a Christian, 
that attitude changed, you now recognize that you do need God. That for you to live the Christian life, you do so in Jesus Christ. You are dependent on him each day for his enabling. And yet, sadly, that self-sufficient mindset can often creep its way back in. And we see that in our passage this evening with the disciples. We read of another exorcism, and yet the point of this passage is not that Jesus has power over evil, which he does have. No, the second half of Mark's gospel is less about who Jesus is. It's less focused on his identity. Mark has covered that in the first half of his gospel. The second half of Mark's gospel is about Jesus' mission, but it's also about our response. And so in the last nine chapters of Mark, I believe Jesus only performs three miracles. There are two about Jesus giving sight to blind men, and then there's this miracle. And all three are about putting your faith in Jesus Christ. That's how you are to respond to Jesus. And that's what we will consider this evening. You're to look to Christ with faith in him. And as a result, you will know his deliverance and you will know his power in your life. So firstly, notice you live in a broken world. So last time in Mark's gospel, we considered the transfiguration. This was this mountaintop experience where Peter and James and John, they saw the glory of Christ revealed. Well, Mark brings us from this mountaintop experience to the valley below, and we are brought back to reality. There is a tormented father seeking help for his son, but he's struggling with doubt that anyone can help him. Now, Mark, the writer of this gospel, he is known for a man of few words. And so when he does use a lot of words, that means they are significant. And he uses a lot of words to describe the condition of this boy that is possessed by the demon. Four times Mark describes the condition of this boy. Verse 17, we read that he has a mute spirit. When it seizes him, the boy becomes rigid. He falls on the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth. Verse 20, the boy falls into a fit before Jesus. And so we read of him convulsing on the ground. Verse 22, we read of how the boy has been doing this from childhood, and the demon would throw him into the fire or into the water to destroy him. And then verse 25, Jesus describes the demon as deaf and dumb, and we get this final description of the boy as one who became dead. Mark is helping us see the utter tragedy of this boy and his poor father, who is completely unable to help his son. And being demon-possessed, the boy was deaf and dumb. The boy isn't able to communicate with his father. Just imagine how discouraging that must have been. Never being called dad. Never, being, never hearing the words of thank you or I love you. Instead, the boy would have fits. Fits like epilepsy. He convulsed in the ground, foaming at the mouth. And we see that the demon is out to destroy the boy. And the result was the father would have to watch him all the time. But he was helpless to do anything. And we see the extent of the demon's determination to kill this boy. When the father would cook over an open fire, he would have to keep an eye on his son. 
for the demon would try and throw the boy into the fire. And so you're to imagine this boy covered in scars as a result of being burned. We've all seen pictures of burn victims. Well, that is what we have here, a disfigured boy. They had to be careful about being near bodies of water, even during bath time, because the demon was out to drown the boy in the water. And so this father and the rest of his family are locked in this constant case of never letting their son out of their sight, never knowing when the demon will strike next. The only reason this boy has survived so long is because of the constant care and attention of his father, protecting him from the demon's attacks. This is the desperation that we can imagine the father is in. He needs help. He can no longer keep doing this. And the tragedy of this family is a reality of the brokenness of this world. Yes, this was demon possession, but our world is still in the grip of sin. Satan continues to destroy this world that God created. This brokenness is real even here in Bloomington. There are countless stories of tragedy in our own community, even within this building. Broken family relationships, financial strains, weakness in health. There are perpetual problems of loneliness and rejection, uncertainty, anxiety. This is the broken world that we live in. This is the brokenness of your life. Well, secondly, you can do nothing about the brokenness of your life, verses 14 to 16. So the passage begins with this argument between the disciples and the scribes, the teachers of the law. The boy's father had come to the disciples looking for help. He recognizes that he can do nothing, and so he looks beyond himself. He makes himself vulnerable by even asking this group of disciples, men who were not impressive by the world's standards, to fix his boy. And he asks them to release the boy from the oppression of this demon. The disciples cannot do it. This is embarrassing. The disciples, they know how to remove demons. We read earlier in Mark's gospel of how Jesus had given them the power to heal the sick and drive out demons. And they must have been successful for they seem surprised that they are unable to do it for this man's son. And watching their failure were the scribes. And this results in the disciples and the teachers of the law arguing. And you can just imagine what they are arguing about. The teachers of the law, they're criticizing the disciples. You're spreading this message of false hope. For actually, you can do nothing. And by discrediting the disciples, they are discrediting who the disciples follow. They're discrediting Christ. But you can also imagine the disciples who have just heard Jesus say that he would be rejected by the teachers of the law respond that, well, you can't do anything either. You're not helping people. You're only condemning people. The disciples can't help. The teachers of the law can't help. The father can't even help his son. This boy is beyond help. This past week, there was a story of a man who fell overboard from a cruise ship, and he treaded water for over 20 hours. He had a bamboo shoot to sustain him. He said he fought off some sea creature. He did all he could to save himself, 
But when the Coast Guard finally found him, they said he was neither ecstatic or in shock. Instead, he had nothing left to give. He had no energy. And they estimated that he had between 30 seconds to a minute left before he would have been lost completely. Well, that's how helpless each one of you are. And often that feeling of helplessness is too real in this broken world. You can do nothing about the brokenness of your life. You can't help yourself, and you're aware that no one else can help you. Even those closest to you cannot help you. So how are we to respond? Well, sadly, we can simply distract ourselves. We get busy, or we drown out the pain and the heartache. No, the first step is to recognize your weakness, that in yourself you don't have strength. Rich mentioned this morning how we both heard this inspiring talk about this young man who, as a result of a mountain bike accident, was left paralyzed. And in the talk, he explained and told us about how he rebuilt his life. And it was inspiring. And yet it stopped short. It was all about what he can do. He looked, himself, he looked inside himself for strength. And he said he would stare in the mirror in the morning for 30 minutes saying, you can do this. He used the J.K. Rowling quote, rock bottom became the solid foundation on which I rebuild my life. But I don't think he really had hit rock bottom. What happens when he is unable to muster up the resolve, when his strength leaves him completely, when he finds himself dependent on others for help. No, you can do nothing about the brokenness of your life. And so you must look beyond yourself for help. And so thirdly, Jesus is your help, and you are to look to him in faith. The father comes to Jesus after this disappointment. He tells Jesus that the disciples could not help him Jesus asks that the boy be brought to him. And we see how the demon responds. He convulses the boy. But Jesus does something that's strange. He doesn't instantly reach out his hand to heal the boy, to remove the demon. Instead, he asks the father, how long has this been happening? And the father responds, from childhood. And then we hear of specific instances of being thrown into the water and into fire. It's strange for this delay, but Jesus is doing something here. He's testing the man to see just how low he was. Does he recognize that he is completely helpless, that he has hit rock bottom? It's amazing the pride that we have in ourselves, even in the most desperate of situations. We are unwilling to ask for help, or if we do want help, We have caveats as to how we will receive that help. Well, this man has hit rock bottom. He is overwhelmed. This has been going on for too long. And he asked Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. His faith is weak. His his faith has been shakened by the disciples' failure. We often see this today. People are put off Christ because they are put off by Christians. They've been hurt by the church. They see scandal or they see hypocrisy. And so as a result, they're put off Christ. Well, thankfully, the father is not put off by the disciples. He looks to Jesus for help. 
And yet there is doubt in his request. If you can. And Jesus picks up on this when he says, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Now this verse is often misunderstood that if you only have faith, then you can ask for whatever you want and you will get it. And the fact that you don't get it, well, that's because you don't have enough faith. Well, this interpretation is wrong because the focus is placed on faith itself. And the effect of this teaching is that in your faith, you can somehow manipulate and control God. That's not what Jesus is saying. Instead, faith is believing in God and in God's promises. He is the one who makes all things possible according to his will. And so God is to be the object of your faith. Well, this man is demonstrating faith, for he is crying out to Jesus for help. But Jesus, in his compassion, he is challenging the man's faith to be strengthened. And he does this by promising the man that he will do something that seems impossible. Impossible for the disciples, impossible for the teachers of the law. And the man responds, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. This man is very honest. His faith is weak. But crucially, it is in Christ. This man is not that different from me or you. How is your faith? Do you have doubts? Well, Jesus is not telling the man to increase his faith by his own willpower. You can't work up faith within yourself. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. No, faith itself, as well as grace, is a gift of God. Scrivener writes, Faith is pulled out of us by the gospel promises of Jesus. Faith is confessing your weakness and relying on Jesus, which is why we pray, Lord, help, because actually we can't drum up faith. Are you doubting Christ? Well, don't look into yourself. There you will find every reason to doubt. No, look to Christ. He has revealed himself to you, and as a result, you will find him completely trustworthy. Now, boys and girls, I wonder how do you cope in the dark? In the middle of the night, maybe you're trying to find your way to the bathroom. And in the dark, you become full of doubt. Everything seems scary. You don't want to stand on something. You're careful that you don't stub your toe. You do it slowly. You do it carefully. In the day, it's completely different. You confidently walk into the bathroom without a second thought. When your faith is in yourself, It is like walking in darkness. But when your faith is in Christ, it is like walking in the light. You have no reason to be hesitant. No, Jesus is your help. Put your faith in him. Well, fourthly, notice Jesus is worthy of your trust, for in him there is deliverance. So Mark demonstrates that Jesus, in his compassion, is able to help the boy. Jesus is not wanting to make a spectacle. And so before the crowd can gather, we read, he rebuked the spirit by telling him to come out of the boy. Jesus has that authority. 
and he removes the demon from the boy. But we read that he became as one dead. People even saw that after seeing the boy. He is dead. However, in verse 27, we read that Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Doesn't that sound familiar? We read of similar words from earlier in Mark's gospel. And Jesus resurrects the boy. He gives him life. But these are also familiar words because this is what Jesus said he would do himself. And so in this boy, we see a shadow of Jesus' upcoming resurrection. Here he would conquer the powers of darkness. He would deliver people from their sin by rising from the dead. And so Jesus brings this boy from death to life, from captivity to freedom. And this is what Jesus can do. That's why you put your faith in him. Your faith is not placed in yourself. Like the boy, he could do nothing about his condition, and neither can you. You can't be self-sufficient when it comes to your spiritual well-being. Because if anything, your flesh will condemn you. Your conscience will say you are guilty. Instead, your faith is in Christ. It is in Christ that you are justified. He has set you free, so you know deliverance. Luther writes, the article of justification must be sounded in our ears incessantly because the frailty of our flesh will not permit us to take hold of it perfectly and to believe it with all our heart. So look therefore to Christ. It's in him that you are justified. He is the one that you are to place your faith in. He frees you from the captivity of your sin, so no, sin no longer masters you. He protects you from attack, so you are eternally secure. He is the one who holds you and sustains you, so when daily pressures come, they don't crush you. He is the one who enables you to keep going each day, for he gives you your health. He gives you your every breath that you take. He is the one that causes you to love when your love would quickly dry up because he has shown his compassion to you. And so there's no room for pride. You can't be self-sufficient. No, you need Jesus in your life. Otherwise, your pride will drive you from him and you will face an eternal condemnation for you can't live up to your own standards. Never mind live up to God's standards. And so it's no wonder Jesus says, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? Jesus is rebuking the disciples as well as the people present. And you too must listen to that rebuke. Christ is altogether trustworthy. Why would you not put your faith in him? Yes, your faith is not perfect. But ask God that he would help you overcome your unbelief. That you would trust him for your deliverance rather than look to yourself. Well, finally, let's notice you know God's power in your life when you pray to him. This phrase, if you can, is important because throughout the passage we read of the disciples who could not. They could not cast out the demons. The disciples are probably feeling discouraged by their failure. They ask Jesus why they could not remove the demon. And Jesus says, this demon only comes out by prayer. In some versions, it includes fasting as well. 
So what's meant by that? Is this a particularly difficult kind of demon? No, this isn't a different class of demons. Sometimes you get a stain in your shirt and you try and wash it out. It doesn't work, and so you need a stronger stain remover. Well, that's not what's happening here. It's not a stronger demon, and the disciples just weren't strong enough. No, Jesus is rebuking his disciples by saying very simply, you didn't pray. It's like asking, why is this car not moving when you've not put it into drive? Or why is this saucepan of water not coming to the boil but you haven't turned on the heat? The the disciples simply had not prayed. They had not asked for help. They thought that they could do this on their own. They had grown too confident in themselves. They were relying on themselves. They were not looking to God for power. Perhaps they were relying on previous achievements, but they had forgotten just how weak they are. Don't you find it frustrating when someone in your family or a work colleague, they try and do something, but they can't do it, and they only make the situation worse? And if they had only asked for help, well, the issue could have been resolved very quickly and very easily. Well, we are the same. We're not asking for help. We're no different than these disciples before God. And so we need to recognize our weakness and put our trust in God. Ferguson writes, Faith is man in his weakness, trusting God's promises in his word. Only through such weakness is the strength of God seen. The Father comes to Jesus crying out for help. He is, in effect, praying. The Father is doing what the disciples failed to do. He recognized his weakness, that he doesn't have what it takes. In faith, he comes to Jesus and he sees the strength of Jesus when his prayers are answered. That is faith in God. It's made evident in prayer. Every time you pray, you are acknowledging your weakness, that you can't. But you're also acknowledging God's strength that he can. And what a challenge for us today. Do you think that your faith in God is strong? Well, is your life characterized by prayer? Prayerlessness demonstrates faithlessness. It demonstrates that you are relying on yourself. But as a result, you are missing out and knowing the power of God at work in your life. The more you see your weakness and humble yourself, the more you will cry out to Christ and rely on him. Faith has been described as an extension cord. Until it's plugged in, you won't know the power of the electricity surging through it. And Likewise, unless you cry out to God, unless you pray to him, even with your doubts, you won't see the power of God at work in your life. You can pray with others. You can pray by yourself. You can pray here at church, but you are to pray, and you are to pray big prayers. Too often we limit what we think God can do because of our doubts. You see that in God, all things are possible to him who believes. Jesus transforms his boy's life, and as a result, the life of his father. And he has the power to transform your life and those in your life tonight, in your brokenness, in your weakness. Cry out to God. This is a call to have faith. Demonstrate it in your praying. And just consider 
how often we come across Jesus praying to the Father. Frequently, he went up a mountain to pray. He went off by himself to pray. And that's because Jesus is totally dependent on the Father. He came to do his Father's will. He speaks of how he can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. He does it in the strength of the Father that the Father gives him. And so the Son is dependent on the Father. And so you being in Christ, you have the same relationship with the Father. So don't look to your own strength. Instead, recognize your own weakness. But then look to Christ with faith in him. And as a result, know his deliverance and know his power in your life. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. In the brokenness of our lives, we are completely helpless. We can't help ourselves. We need your help. And so we come humbly in our weakness, seeking you. We come full of doubt. And so we ask that you would strengthen our faith, that we would know your deliverance, and that we would know your power in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please turn to Psalm 143a. And in the psalm, we read of a prayer of the psalmist. And let this be your prayer tonight, trusting in the compassion of God, the Father, even at times of, being, of feeling overwhelmed. For you know that your Father hears you. So let's stand and sing Psalm 143a.
turn again in God's Word to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And in this passage, we read of Christ uh, instituting the Lord, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. So 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 25, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Paul in this passage is telling us that he has received instructions from the Lord about the Lord's Supper. And so we see how the Lord's Supper is instituted by Christ. Now, one of Jesus' miracles resembles the Lord's Supper, the feeding of the 5,000. Now, we read or noticed earlier in our series in Mark 6, Mark 6, verse 39, then Jesus commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. And so they all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 basketfuls.